0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm a compulsive reader and restrictor. Hi. Thank you so much, Rod, for asking me to speak here. Um, I'm very humbled to stand here and just share my story. Um anybody's new or listening for the first time, it's just my story. I'm just one person, and um, if you don't hear something, listen to somebody else's story because we all you know, have something to share with our experience, strength, and hope i um, a little nervous, and it's just uh, because my ego, you know, I want to be dazzling and witty, and, you know, just going to laugh that off. <laughs> um, but I, I'm very, very grateful to be here. To be at any, well, oh, thank you. Um, to sort of as an introduction, um, I came into program about three years ago, three and a half years ago, and I have a little over two years of abstinence. Um, and for me, that the bottom line of that is no binging, because that was really the pain of my disease. It was restricting and binging and restricting and binging, and it caused me so much physical and mental pain that I was just I was just done. I, was, <laughs> I didn't have the energy to go on living that life. Um So to back up a little bit, um, I'm from the East Coast. I grew up in the Philadelphia area, and um, I grew up in a diet household. My mom and dad were always on diets, and I kind of grew up knowing that it was important to be thin, or thinking that it was important to be thin. And I always felt a little bit different i i always knew i was a little bit bigger than the other girls and i love my parents and i think they did the best they can and i'm so happy for my experiences because it's who i am and where i am today um but that being said they did impress upon me the importance of being thin and they you know i grew up with two brothers and there was their food and my food and my food was what my parents ate it was the diet coke it was the snack wall cookies it was you know all the reduced calorie stuff and and i knew that the other food was not for me that this food was for me and i can remember being maybe 11 years old um i had been to weight watchers meetings before but you know i knew i wanted to lose some weight and my mom really supported this and you know she <laughs> said <laughs> she said just you wait, you know, when, when you get to be a teenager, all the girls are going to want to lose their baby fat, so this is it, you're, you're ahead of the game, you know, and, and let's take you to these meetings and get you on a diet plan, and um, and I did that, you know, I tried to diet, you know, until I was 20 years old, probably, where it was just the awareness and yet the obsession, and I wasn't really succeeding because I was so obsessed with food, So whether I was up a few, down a few, I was always obsessed. And um, I definitely ate my feelings. I, like I said, I always felt a little bit different, Um, less than, you know. I wasn't as pretty as the other girls. I wasn't as fun or as friendly. I was a very anxious kid. And I knew, like, I knew that that made me different. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't be active and social. I was really, like, just uncomfortable in my own skin. And um, I didn't know how to cope. I had no coping skills. And so I ate. And um, it's funny, I remember my after-school snack. I can gauge where I was at with food with, like, my... My sense of self by what I was eating, my after school snack, there were two. I was either having, most days I was having an ice cream sundae, which I now call the kitchen sink sundae because I literally would go through the pantries. And I mean, anything that you could physically put on top of ice cream, condiments, I mean, everything. Like, crazy stuff. Baking, you know, baking chocolates. It's like, it's not meant to be chewed. It's like waxy and weird. It's just, everything went on my ice cream sundae. And it was this mound of food. And that was like my, ah, oh, you know, I got through the school day. Some people made fun of me. I felt really uncomfortable in gym class. And that was, like, how I soothed it all. And then the other snack was a salad with fat-free Thousand Island dressing and Bacos. And that was when I was trying to diet. That was, like, my, I'm going to be good today. And and even though today was hard, soon I'll be thin and everything will be okay. And um, so fast forward to... College, you know, I got out of. As soon as I was able to drive, I couldn't believe I could go buy M and M's. That was like the thing because I I wasn't allowed to eat foods like that. I was told that was bad, and so as soon as I, that was like my rebellious streak. I was like, I'm gonna eat M and M's and I'm gonna get candy from you know Seven Eleven, and so I went to college and I was always, you know, maybe 20 pounds overweight, um, but I kind of you know topped out in college and was maybe um, 40 pounds overweight. And what happened that was sort of a turning point in my disease is that I was in a really bad relationship. It was really, um, mentally abusive and just my self-esteem every day. was like, you're a piece of shit. You're, you know, a slut. You're this, you're that just horrible. It was a really, he was a, I don't want to address anyone. He, he drank a lot. And, um, And he was an angry person. And it was a really destructive um, couple of years in my life. And it ended with um, an argument of ours escalating and um, him throwing something. And I had a black eye. And it was was like this big dramatic ending. And I was so grateful because I didn't have the courage to get out on my own. So now I had this like big shiner on my face. And it was like, okay, no one's going to let me stay in this relationship. It was like... This big, obvious break. And the reason that this was, it triggered something in my disease because I'd always been obsessed with food. And all of a sudden, I had this weird obsession of, I'm going to show him. I'm going to get so thin and beautiful and just rub it in his face. How dare he do this to me? He stole these years of my life. This was just what came up for me. And so just like that, it was like, I'm going to be thin, and I started, like, very seriously dieting. And on one hand, I can say it was a healthy diet. I wasn't starving myself. You know, I was counting calories. And, and getting a normal amount, I, I really wasn't restricting. But what I was doing is I, I binged my way down 40 pounds. And what I mean by that is I would eat as much as I possibly could without gaining weight. I would, if I had this many calories that I needed to eat, to lose two pounds a month, whatever it was, I would see how many heads of lettuce can I get for the same, like, you know, how big can I make my meal so that I can still lose weight? And that's what I did. And it was, it felt psychotic. It felt out of control and uncomfortable, but it was working. I was losing weight. I'm losing weight. And, um, I mean, I remember I used to work at restaurants. And that was like the fear. Like, I could not get through a shift without like binging on other people's foods you know like the plates are out onto the hot plates and I'm like stealing bites of you know other people's food that's disgusting but it didn't even occur to me like how like not courteous that was to other. it was just like no one's looking I'm going to eat this I'm going to eat that the Mexican restaurants was, like you know the chips and the stuff um, and so what I would do this was my way of trying to control the situation I would eat a big you know high-volume, low-calorie meal before I'd go, and then I would have this, like, you know, fill up on those type of foods, and then I had my little work apron, and I would stuff it with, like, gum, sugar-free candy, you know, um, a snack bar, and some celery sticks, like, that was my arsenal, and then I would go there, and I would still overeat and eat other people's food, and it just didn't work, and I never, ever thought I would be able to not do that, because... I moved out here from the East Coast, and I got a job in the food industry, and where I work, there's no other way to describe it, it's like Candyland, there's just food coming out of the walls, it's, it's... and my routine was to work very hard, and then as soon as everyone left, I just, I got into all the food, and it was bites of this, and bites of that, and I take a bite and throw something out and then i'd take it out of the trash and then i'd stick my hands in cereal boxes i mean i would have hours of binging until i finally i would crawl into the bathroom try and throw up and i couldn't that just never i was never physically able to make that happen so i would drag myself home to my new husband and be furious and angry at the world and so upset. and I'm not going to have dinner. I can't. I ate too much at the office and I crawl into bed and, you know, it's 8 o'clock at night. Don't talk to me. I just want to go to sleep. And that was my life, you know. It was fighting. And then, you know, that's where the restriction kicked in because I would be sitting in my bed wanting dinner because truly I hadn't really eaten that much. It was just scraps of food and that, that madness of, like, you know, I would do, um... Go chew and spit, you know, like I would, it would eat food and I'd try and get rid of it. So it wasn't really binging to the point that, I oh, at home I was hungry. I hadn't eaten anything of substance, but I would sit and rock in my bed and, you know, and this was my life. And I had absolutely no hope that I would be able to stop it because it was so routine for years to do that. No matter how badly I wanted to stop, that was my life. And I felt like, this is it. This is my lot in life. I'm never going to be able to to be at my office and not eat other people's food. And it was always sneaking other people's food. So-and-so had this in the refrigerator. How much can I take that they won't see it? And I was in therapy. And I remember I had all these, like, big ideas of how I was going to beat this. And I said, you know, what if I never allow myself to be in the office when anyone else isn't there. So when the last person leaves, I'm going to run out with them. Good, let me know how that goes. You know, it was kind of her attitude and it didn't work. And I said, okay, I'm going to join a gym and I'm going to make sure that my gym class is always scheduled at a time so that I then have to get out of work by that time. That didn't happen. What What happened is that my therapist said, I don't think any of these things are going to work because you're, you're, you're stuck. You're Nothing's going to stop you. I don't know what to tell you. And then she said, maybe, you know, you should try these rooms over Readers Anonymous. I said, okay. And I was was really nervous. I knew about this Friday meeting, but I kept putting off going because I was worried that I wouldn't like you. I was worried that I would get there. It's, like, too embarrassing to say out loud, but I'm here and I'm being honest. I was worried that I was going to look and see a bunch of people that didn't have control of their lives, that were sloppy, and why couldn't they just get it together? And it's like... I was so far from together. It's like hysterical that at this point I should add that I had dieted my way down to about 95 pounds um, because I couldn't stop. I got so addicted to that feeling of thin is good. Thin is beautiful. I I got really obsessed with the numbers on the scale. You know, I can't possibly go back to 110 because now I've seen 109 and what's 108 going to look like? And, So I was sick, you know, and yet I was judging everyone else. And so I I went to my first meeting, finally, because I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I literally pulled myself up off the floor, pulled my face off of the toilet where I was at my office, and crawled into a meeting, and this was about three years ago, it was during the holidays, because it was a very light meeting, there weren't a lot of people there, so it was like, you know, just a few chairs filled, and... Very quiet meeting, and I just cried the whole entire time. But I I listened a little bit, too. And I remember immediately that fear of not, like, liking people or just... Like, I got there, and I all of a sudden just felt very comfortable. And I felt very, like, aw, you guys are going through something, too. Like, I, I felt this camaraderie. And... But I still cried through the whole thing. And at the end, I you know, people came up and spoke to me. And I was a little timid, but I was so appreciative that, like, they wanted to help, you know. And this one woman, and I'm still friends with her today, she said, you know, you're loved. You're loved here. And I was like, that blew my mind. Like, how can you love me? You don't even know me. But that is something that I get from this program. It's like we love each other because we know the pain that this disease carries. And so I've been embraced, and I embrace everyone else that, you know, shares this disease. Um, So I got a sponsor, and I was very flaky about it. I went to maybe one or two meetings a week, called my sponsor maybe one or two days a week, and I couldn't get abstinent. And probably a big part of the reason that I couldn't get abstinent is that I was smoking a whole lot of pot <laughs> and <laughs> those two things don't really go well together because for one thing like I mean I wasn't just smoking a lot of pot like I'm I'm a pothead like I was I don't smoke anymore but I was I was smoking all the time. And that was my new thing. That was my new food. So while I was trying to put the food down, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll get high because that'll be, like, fun and distracting, and then i ended up blowing my abstinence. And um, I started to find myself at meetings sharing about the fact, like, man, I'm so bummed, you know, not getting abstinent. I, I wanted to go to a meeting the other day, but then I got high. And it's like it started creeping up, and people started coming to me and being like, you know, there are meetings for that. <laughs> I'm like, really? But that's for people that want to stop. I don't want to stop, you know? they're like, okay. And then I kept sharing about how it was being a problem, and finally enough people came up to me, and, you know, they have, they have a special room just for that. Like, really? Yeah. I wound up with a sponsor that... My, my sponsor dropped me, the one I was working with and being a flake with, and I was, like, devastated. I was like, that was my only hope. That was my only lifeline, and she left because I wasn't committing. And so my next meeting, I stood up and I said, "I'm you know, I was like on my knees. I'm like, I need a sponsor. I'll do whatever you tell me. I'm willing to take direction. Got my new sponsor. First phone call. I say to her, I'm like, just so you know, I'm a bit of a pothead. Just so you know. So I'm going to be smoking pot, and that's just how it is. And she said, that's great. Um, I'm a recovering addict, and I'm not going to work with you if you're using another. I don't think you can get recovery in this program if you are still admittedly dependent on something else. I said, okay, where are these meetings? And that was when I got abstinent. And it's not so much because I had another addiction. It's because I realized that in order to get abstinent, it wasn't just about the food. It was about the behaviors that lead me to the food. It was about the behaviors that keep me from facing reality. So even if I wasn't escaping with the food, escapism was my you know, it was my drug. And whether I was using food to get to it or I was using drugs to get to it, I just wanted to, like, not have to be present. And that was my life. As a result of that, I had a husband that was probably really resentful of the fact that I came home from work every day miserable. You know, I wasn't very good company for anyone. I, was, I didn't want to eat the places you wanted to eat. I didn't want to be social if it meant compromising my you know, my needs and my wants. And as much as I wanted to believe that I was a good, and I do believe I I am and was a good person underneath, I have acted really selfishly because I was trying to tend to this disease. So that was kind of what it was like, I guess. And what happened is, you know, finding this new sponsor... And I started to work the program with her. I called her every morning. I committed my food. That was the first big tool that got me abstinent was my food plan. I eat three meals and three snacks a day. And that's... My natural instinct is to be really ashamed of that because that sounds like a lot. But it works for me. It's three planned, committed meals and snacks. And there's, you know, it's just it's just what works for me. I eat several times throughout the day and I commit it in the morning and I... If I make a change, I need to text my sponsor and let her know what's going on. Um, But what really happened is I became willing to look at those behaviors that were standing in the way and not just the food. And, you know, the first big thing was that I was using drugs. And, And in those meetings, they told me I should not do any. I should not drink either. like, really? But you know what? I was... It was all about desperation for sanity. And that came to be my litmus test for abstinence. I remember going to my first Thanksgiving dinner and program, and I texted my sponsor, and I was freaking out. I'm like, how am I possibly... I've never gone to Thanksgiving dinner and not... Had to go lay down in the back room of somebody's house, unbutton my pants, and curl over in a fetal position because I had ate to the point that my stomach, you know, my skin was stretched over my stomach. I was so full and uncomfortable. I mean, I'm an adult, and that was every single year. That was what happened. And it's really not just Thanksgiving. It was, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah. Like any family thing where there was food out, I overate to the point of sickness. I lost my train of Thanksgiving. I was on my way to Thanksgiving, my first Thanksgiving dinner and program, and I was texting my sponsor, like, how am I ever going to get through this? And she wrote back, abstinence is sanity. And that was it. I don't know why that just clicked for me because anytime I have to make or I think that I have a food decision to make, it all comes down to what is going to leave me with the most sanity afterward. So, when I'm feeling like I need my snack three hours earlier than I usually have it or I need a bigger lunch, I start to think about, okay, let's play it through. What's going to happen after this big lunch? What am I going to feel most painless? if I stop, drink a glass of water, and just let it pass? Or am I going to be freaking out, obsessed, I didn't eat enough? Okay, well, that's insanity too. So if it means having a, another helping or whatever it is, it's, the goal for me is sanity. Whatever leads me there feels like the right decision. And it's how I came to understand and have a relationship with a higher power. Because i so related to the idea of, you know, if it's not God, just think of it as a power greater than yourself. And that was easy because I have, you know, self-esteem issues, and I'm like, well, I know I'm not that great. Like, I know that I have really bad ideas, because look at how far they've gotten me, you know? And so, and I don't mean that to put myself down, but I just, it's it's my disease. The disease, the presence of, like, bad ideas in my brain. And then the flip side of that is just better ideas. So it's like, I can just very loosely, you know, categorize my disease as the bad ideas and God as the good ideas. And as long as I know that there's something better than the bad stuff, I know that there's a power greater than myself. Because left to my own devices, I'm in the bad stuff. And so I, you know, I really, one thing that my, in my sponsorship line of tree, there's a lot of things that we all do the same, and it's nice. I actually, the sponsor that I got abstinent with actually lost her abstinence and had to, um, you know, she was instructed by her sponsor that she had to give me up. And I was so devastated. Um, but the, the one last piece of advice that she gave me as, as we were ending our sponsorship, she said, maybe you should look at somebody else in our sponsorship, Family Tree. And it's a big one. It's a great one. I have a great grand sponsor. And so it was the first thing I did. I'm like, okay, who's in our circle, you know? And I asked somebody, and she said yes. And it was a lovely relationship with her. I talk to her every morning. I commit my food. Um, and I get to say the things out loud that I'm afraid to say. And I don't have to worry about her judging me. I don't even have to worry about her telling me what to do or what not to do. Because just hearing myself say things out loud sometimes is enough to give me the... to help me turn it over. When I realize that I'm biting my tongue scared to say something out loud to her, I kind of know it's the wrong, you know. And that's kind of been... My experience is that when I look for a power greater than myself, I look for anything other than myself. I look to people in programs. I look to my sponsor. I look to my therapist. I look to my husband. Because anything is better than trying to do it all myself and trying to keep it all in my brain. Um, You know, it's amazing the willingness that comes with this once I used to say, you know, if I can just be willing to be willing. That was, like, my starting point. And now, I mean, I I told you guys I work in this um, very food-filled environment. And along the course of my abstinence, I identified foods and situations that don't work for me. And that meant turning down a lot of work activities. Um, not, not turning them down, but being present and not eating the food that was there even if it was somebody that was really excited to bring in this food for us I am not a good human being if I'm in my disease and if I'm eating things that trigger the insanity I can't show up for my husband I can't show up for my job and so I mean that was like such a miracle for me that today I can go in to the office on a Saturday, and and meet with my boss, and and there's just food that's not my food, you know? I bring my food, and it's what I committed, and I don't, I don't, I don't fuck around with my food. It's too scary, you know? If it's not an option, it's not a problem, so I don't let it be an option. It's one less thing that I have to think about during my day. If I start my day by planning my food, it's done. And I'll have to think about it for the rest of the day. And it did not always used to be that way. That definitely used to make me laugh. But somewhere along the line, it's like a miracle of this program. You act as if you do the work, you bring the body, you know, all those cliches. And the truth is, I was so nervous to share today because... I'm not this, like, you know, person with 20 years and, like, I don't go to meetings every single day and I don't have this, like, three square meals a day and I exercise. Like, I'm not recovered. Um, I would like to go to more meetings than I do right now. I would like to be further along in my steps than I am right now. I'm very slowly working the steps and it's just where I am. And... It's just where I am. And, you know, the truth of it is that I don't think I'd be very recovered if I thought I was recovered. Um, The progress, not perfection thing is like a big hug, you know? It's like, oh, thank God. Because it's one day at a time and I do the best I can. Today I'm at a meeting. Today you guys are at a meeting. You know, we're, we're doing the deed. And... I can't recover on yesterday's meeting any more than I can, you know, stay clean today on yesterday's shower. It's a daily reprieve, and I'm doing the best I can, and I know I'm far from perfect, and there's still so much, you know, that I want for myself, and... The way that, and this is another miracle program for me, is the whole service-is-its-own-reward thing. I, that, there is so much recovery in showing up for other people, in making an outreach call, in going to an event, because it's just like a way to get out of my head, and that is so soothing because i spend a lot of time thinking about me i've done enough thinking about me for my entire lifetime so when i get to look at something that's important to my husband or my mother-in-law you know like it's it's a relief to stop thinking about myself and i wind up grateful for the opportunities um i think i just want to say that you know I have good days and bad days. I know I'm not recovered, but I'm really grateful to be on this path. I love the people in these rooms. I love the honesty in these rooms. I mean, talk about miracles, it's like, I was too afraid to face anything about myself. This stuff that I'm saying scared the shit out of me. To even admit it to myself, let alone stand up here and talk about it. And now it's like, I get to be honest about my experiences. Even in my real life, you know, I work with some girls that, you know, sometimes they have issues with their stuff. And I get to just be honest about, this this is what I do to take care of myself. It doesn't mean it's what anyone else does. Some people might think it's weird. You know, like I said, I'm very much, my abstinence does come first. So sometimes that means bringing my own food or, or working my schedule around my food. And sometimes it means being able to do the best I can in a situation. When I go to a friend's wedding and there's a served meal, I need to just do the best I can. I can inquire. I can see what it is that's available and make sure it's something that, you know, I can can eat. But then I get to just pray and say it's a plate of food and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to survive it. You know, this is, that's a miracle for me that I get to do that. I'm incredibly grateful to be where I am, and to have met the people I have, and I'm humbled to know that I'm not a superstar, you know, I'm not up here like, here's how far I've come, you know, it's, it's we are all <laughs> holding hands in this program, and I need you guys to, to, to stay here, you know, it's amazing to me how even going to a meeting, and sitting in a seat, a service to the other people there because I know when I go to those meetings and I see somebody that I know and you know it's just like okay she did it she's here she came to the meeting oh wait I am too you know and it's that feeling of like I can't we can um, I think I'm gonna stop there thank you for letting me speak um, if anybody has any questions I'm you know happy to talk hi. <laughs> My food plan, oh, the question was, um, I said my abstinence is no binging. How do I define, what do I know is a binge? Um, That's where my food plan is, like, the most powerful tool because if I plan my meals, I would never plan an exorbitant amount of food, and if I did, my sponsor would bring it up when I committed to her in the morning. Um, But committing it really helps me, and at the same time, I talked about how, like, I could binge on lettuce, you know, so there was a long time when I committed a salad and refilled it three times, you know, and I mean, like, I don't mean, like, a little bowl of lettuce, I mean, like, my, I told you I eat a lot of food, like, my, I have a big salad bowl that I have, and for a while, I'm going to have salad for dinner, and then I, you know, this was my first year when I was really shaky, and then I would refill it and refill it, and it's like, it became clear to me that that was a slippery slope, so now I commit one salad bowl, you know, and, um. There are times when I feel too full, and then it's, like, I have to wonder about, like, okay, what did I do differently? What what was on my salad today that was a little bit heavier, you know, and I have to kind of look at those things. But I'm very routine, too. To me, like, my food plan is, like, a safe zone, and... I'd so much rather keep it simple and just kind of I commit my same boring food every day and I eat my same boring food because it's not like I'm not a person jumping out of planes with, you know, and going bungee jumping. It's like this is security to me. So my my food plan really helps me um, define and and stay away from pitches because when I notice that full feeling, I get to talk to my sponsor about it. And, and, you know, we get to decide if there's something in my food plan that needs to change. I wish I could say. The question was, um, when I have days that are not so good, like I talked about, um, what do I do to to get out of that? And um, it's amazing because I know what works. And so it's never a mystery to me that when I'm having a shitty day, it's because I didn't make any outreach calls. It's because I haven't been to a meeting in a couple of days. And... At the same time, I need to be really honest with myself that, like, one of my character defects, something that brings me back to my disease is being too hard on myself. So a lot of times I just need to say, my sponsor will tell me, um, it's okay to have a C day. I'm like, what does that mean? Who aims for a C? You know, like, that's my perfectionist mumbo-jumbo. But it's, like, sort of allowing myself to be human is a really gentle way for me to deal with those days. And yesterday was one of them. I mean, I was just, I felt really hopeless and it was just, I was tired. I was dehydrated. I I worked a little bit too long without taking a break. And I woke up today and it was just like, okay, one day at a time. It's a new day. And the same way that I can't, you know, recover on yesterday's meeting, I can't, I just can't kill myself over yesterday's misactions. All I can do is learn and grow. So that's, that's how I would like to to deal with those situations. It's what works. It's what works when I try to deal with those situations. So, okay. um, so the question was, what step am I on? How am I working the steps? I'm on step four um, because every sponsor I've been with has made me start over, which is awesome. I really got into those first three steps, and I needed to. Um, so I, I've done steps one, two, and three um, one, two, and three times. And, um, so right now I'm working my fourth step and I just started what, um, my sponsor and I have done is I read from the 12 and 12 away. I read a few sentences and every morning I talk about them. And then when we get to the end of a chapter, we'll kind of meet and talk about it all and review my writing. And, um, And even with her, I think we got to the end of three and she was like, do three again. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, So I just started my fourth step and the most helpful thing that I've read in, I forget if it's in the book book or the 12 and 12, but just to give up the idea that there's like a perfect way to do it and a right way to do it because I'll never ever do it if I think that I'm not doing it right. And so wrote the names down, I got the columns, and, you know, it's just, that's my hurdle that I need to get over, is thinking that I need to do it exactly the correct way, and just, just do it, just write, just get that junk out, so. When I put the food down, and the feelings came up, how did I deal with those feelings that came up? They definitely came up big time, um, because I really feel like my whole life was, like, stuffing down the feelings with food, so I never had to look at them, and the things that came up big time for me were, like, resentments. Oh, my God, I resent everyone. And, no offense. <laughs> and, um you know, it was anger at, you know, my parents and just all of this junk and this, all of that being uncomfortable in my skin that I tried to, like, soothe fired up like a flame, you know. And writing really really helped me because it's like it had less power when I got it out on paper and it was less scary too the things that that I thought would kill me if I admitted even on paper you know to like write them out and like I didn't explode you know like it didn't it didn't kill me and then and I was not ready for a long time but then to be able to talk to my sponsor about some of that stuff was I was not prepared for that miracle of being able to do that and I also, I go to I go to therapy and, um, you know, that's just something outside help that really helps me. And it's, um, I remember when I was debating going to therapy, I, I was saying, you know, I it's just like paying to go to a meeting. I, I already get so much recovery in meetings and it's just going to be like one long share. And then I was like, wait, what's wrong with that? That's kind of nice. <laughs> I could use a scheduled hour a week of, of really looking at my stuff, you know. Um, so that's something that definitely helps me and I, I also just found that like there's something spiritual happened that helped me walk through it and I did not expect that at all I thought it was going to be torture I thought it was going to be white knuckling you know putting it down and just being bare and having to deal with it all on my own and I wasn't you know I had a fellowship I had my sponsor and I had I had a higher power that just something kept me safe through that so I think that's about my time. Thank you guys so much.